Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars podcast. This is Barnsley here for the weekly talking footy episode. Now that Supercoach is done and dusted, we are only talking footy, and it is a great time of year to be talking footy. Had a fantastic episode with Wilfred last week. Happy Broncos fan this week. Have someone without any skin in the game this week, because I don't anymore, so I need to get someone on that wasn't in the finals anymore, and that is regular Matty Person, Perso. Welcome back to the All-Stars podcast, mate. You've not been able to follow your Tigers for a couple of weeks, which probably makes you feel a bit better about the season, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> that was to be expected, but sort of being a, um, a Nova Castrian, I sort of jumped on the Knights bandwagon there. They're sort of my second favourite side, so that sort of went pear-shaped as well. So up the wires now. Yeah, it's a little bit hard, isn't it? Because it's, um, I guess, Newcastle was a, sort of a, a people's team as well to support and they're gone. And it's one thing that is good is that we do have four teams from very different areas, which doesn't happen very often. Like you have many final series at this point where it's the the four sides, which is very New South Wales centric sometimes, or even sometimes very Queensland centric. And we've got one Queensland team, one New Zealand team, uh, and one Melbourne team and one Sydney team. So it's worked out. Quite well. I think the NRL would be rubbing their hands together at how well that has actually worked out. Yeah, they'd have to be stoked with that, wouldn't they? That's um, that's what the NRL should be trying to build towards. There's been the National Rugby League, that they call themselves. So, you know, what um, four Sydney teams or three Queensland teams, one Sydney team. It's anyone's game too, really, this year. So that's um, as far as all the, the, the uh, popularity for attracting crowds and stuff goes, it's definitely a great result for the NRL. Well, the first cab off the rank this episode is obviously the review of finals week two. The semi-finals had two games. Unfortunately, we have to start off with the Roosters losing to the Melbourne Storm 18-13 to in what was quite a classic semi-final per se that I'm sure will be replayed on Fox Sports over and over again for many years. It was a game as a Roosters fan that I need to restrain myself on significantly <laughs> when I speak about it. So undoubtedly, I will have people say I have bias when I say what I'm about to say, and that's fine. I'm just going to throw it out there to everyone that if I think any team's done it, I don't care the, the colours on their jersey, I will stick up for them on this podcast and say that team was dudded. I thought the Roosters were dudded. And it, people, I think, let's just get out of the way of the controversy first and then we can talk about the actual game and the players on both sides that actually made this a great contest. The controversy was there and I think that a lot of people would be looking at this and responding to me like they've responded to other people in the media or former players and things and say, it's just one play. I'm not referring to one play. Obviously, there was the Harry Grant debacle. Let's hit that on the head straight away, per se. To me, I'll say outright, like I thought, I felt sorry for Ashley Klein for his performance 
I felt sorry for him that he apologized and, and everything and hearing that my heart sunk for him. That doesn't mean I'm not angry about his performance. It doesn't mean his performance is good enough. That Harry Grant call, you can get things wrong as a referee and there's things that you can't get wrong. It is just that blatantly bad that is one of those things where you could not make a worse mistake than what he made. And the worst repercussion of a big error like that Perso, it's bad enough to make one of those. like that. That's not even a howler. It's beyond a howler. It's a lose-your-job mistake, which ultimately he did. But the worst repercussion of that is if it costs the other team points straight away. And that's exactly what it did. So I'm happy to, I'm going to go off on a, a whole heap of other things. So I'm not going to hang my hat on this. But as an error, that wasn't the only thing that defined this game. But it is one of the worst errors that you will see at that level when you're talking about the top referee in the competition. Yeah, I was extremely poor. I, mean, I don't harp on too often about decisions directly impacting the game besides losing because there's a lot goes on in the game. But that was, um, yeah, if you're a Roosters fan, you definitely be really disappointed with that. But especially, as you said, with the points going straight after it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that was the difference, wasn't it? So, even though there was a lot of other decisions in that game that were quite contentious, but um, it's quite embarrassing. I mean, the NRL obviously, uh, well, Annesley has dropped Klein too this week, so he's obviously recognised it was a huge blunder, which he doesn't really do very often, Annesley. So, yeah, I think it's been coming for a little while with Klein. He's fairly inconsistent, even though he's sort of the, as you said, the, the top referee in the game. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I'm going to defend him a little bit here, Klein. In that, I one of the things that people have sort of said is the bunker should tip it off, and that's been a big argument. Yeah. You can't, like, as a Roosters fan, I don't expect the bunker to do that because you can't change the rules, and the rules are that the bunker isn't allowed to tip off things like that in general play. So I, I was fine with that as a Roosters fan. But the way I'm going to defend Klein is this is we have been on a hiding to nothing all NRL season from day dot, from round one, even before round one, we had a really big problem in the NRL with. Our, I'm not even going to blame the officials, the officials, but how we manage the officials and how we manage the game and the rules and criteria that we've put in place as a game of rugby league has been very contentious all year. And we've done nothing. So the NRL has pretty much made a rod for its own back. And it's just about asked for this. Honestly, and the NRL hierarchy have just about asked for this mistake to happen because we could see it all year, week on week, that there was no consistency. There was howlers every single weekend and it just kept on letting be allowed to flow through. So, you know, you have to think that if you had a hierarchy and if you had someone in charge other than Annesley that was a bit more honest, that was a bit more honest and we're a bit more honest as a game, that we've actually got a problem with how we're officiating, that this could have been nipped in the butt in the first month of the season and things like these sort of errors wouldn't happen. But what you get per se with any type of performance, and this is with players, it's with officials, it's with anyone in any job, is that you get a degree of apathy, and and it isn't done on purpose sometimes. It's sometimes it's subconscious apathy where you, you're allowed to get these performances out there time and time again and you're not performance managed for it, you're not criticised for it, you're not giving constructive feedback for it. So ultimately you just keep doing it. And I think that that's what we've seen and that's a way that I actually feel sorry for Klein because I don't think that the referees, including Klein, are being led well and they're not being put in a good position with the rules of the game and how we're actually officiating. No, you're 100% right. I mean, every time Annesley fronts up, he's he's too far defensive of the referees. He never really is critical of them when he needs to be. Not Certainly not in the media anyway. I don't know what's like behind closed doors with him, but um, he's always... like Some of the things he's defended this year have just been laughable. 
Look, seriously, it's the, the, the buck's got to stop with him, really. And in a situation like that, where Klein missed it, you'd expect that the touch, like one of the touch judges surely saw it. And that's... Well, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, too. Although I will say, like, with the proximity that, that he was there, you'd think that if I was a touchy, even if I saw it, I'd think, well, he's made the call three metres away, right? So yeah. you'd almost... You kind of almost have to go. But that's where the but, game's gone now, Barnes, hasn't it? The touchies just, they, they don't come in at all anymore. They don't, it's just the way it's gone now. They just rely on the bunker too much when, if a try score, they'll go back and look at it. If they don't, then, you know, well, why on? Yeah, and it's also above Annesley too. Like, if, if if you're in charge of a game, if you're the CEO or, or some of those 100%. executives and stuff, sure, you had to ask questions about this way before this. And they've had their heads in the sand like emus the entire time. So, it, there, there is a lot of ways I feel sorry for, for Ashley Klein and people are going to make mistakes and he wasn't put in the best position. Now, we mentioned the Grant one. Okay, let's move on. Because I, I said, I'm not going to hang my hat on that as a Roosters fan. I think they're overall dudded. And no disrespect to Storm fans, that's just how I feel. If you see it differently, that's fine. I'm going to pinpoint a few other critical calls. At the start of that game, there were several penalties and six agains given to the Storm that were highly, highly questionable. Now, I'm not going to go through them all per se, but I'm going to pinpoint one where Victor Radley has put on a semi-final tackle, uh, aggressive tackle where I would say, like I've said with many others this year, he's been penalised for tackling too hard. Victor Radley hits a storm player across his chest. He gets done for a high tackle. Even the commentators were speechless. When the replays came up, he's hit him right on the chest and he's gone down hard, but it's because it was a good hard tackle. And everybody was surprised that that was a penalty. And that was the tone that was set from Ashley Klein at the start. The the first 15, 20 minutes, the Storm were on top, especially that first 10 to 15 minute period, the Storm were well on top, but they had an, uh, multiple penalties, multiple six against, and there's there's argument to say they were all highly questionable. So to me, it started off like that where I felt that it was going towards the Storm's way and it was nitpicking on the Roosters' side but letting everything go on the Storm's side. That's just how I felt about it. How did you sort of see that first 15, 20 minutes with those penalties and the restarts. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that Radley one was ridiculous, mate, to be honest. I, you know, I'm no Roosters supporter, but I'm a, a rugby league supporter. That, that I hate seeing stuff like that happen. Yeah, it's just a good hit. It looked spectacular. It wasn't high. It wasn't like this. Yeah, I don't know. That's I've seen a, a, quite a few this year that they penalise and you see just as many, if not more, that they don't with those sort of things. As soon as there's something around the collarbone, Sometimes it gets pulled up like it's an old-fashioned bloody coat hanger and it's not even got him high. And then other times you see him and it doesn't. So well, it seems again, that if you hit him soft, it's okay. You know, like a... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you get tackled. I mean, this is, we've talked about this quite a few times over the last season and a half a bit. Any time a tackle looks like it's too hard, oh, it must have been something wrong with that. So we'll penalise that. Can't have players hitting each other hard. It's very disappointing. Well, especially when it's a, a semi-finals game and you know we, we have this tussle at this time of year where things get adjudicated differently and some of that game was adjudicated differently like it was a finals game and then things like that aren't it's just it's very inconsistent in the same game and, and that's not what you want as a player or as a fan either you want you want to have some idea about how rulings going to be made uh the other one that i thought was not spoken about hardly at all was I thought that no try to the Roosters for the Harry Green obstruction was absolutely appalling. And, and some people will argue that, oh, well, you know, Lindsay Collins has taken him out. I'm going to pinpoint three different things, Percy. I'd like you to talk to him. One, 
Harry Grant takes a massive dive and he did it four or five times that game where he's diving to try and get calls. He did it then. He ran in to Lindsay Collins. Now, that aside, I will still be happy with a blown penalty because that normally happens. But what happens after Lindsay Collins and him touch each other? Grant gets up, is in the defensive line before the play does anything else. He is so not impeded that he actually puts pressure on the Roosters' ball carriers to the point that we end up kicking the ball on the opposite side of the field that Harry Grant was actually standing because Grant is actually up defending in the line. So for one, someone has to be impeded and someone has to take advantage of that player being obstructed. Harry Grant wasn't. He was back up and he was in the defensive line, number one. Number two, they didn't take advantage of Harry Grant hitting Lindsay Collins. There was no advantage from that. They kicked the ball on the other side of the field and there was nothing to do with Harry Grant on that side of the field. And the last thing I'll hang my hat on is that all this took place per so over about 45 seconds of play, even a minute. And Ashley Klein very clearly at the very start of that set said, play on, I'm fine with that because he was right next to the Collins collision watched Harry Grant get back up and the ball's gone through for 40, 45 seconds afterwards where he said, play on. And then he's gone no try when the try is actually scored. Whereas how many times do we see it where a referee believes there's an obstruction and as soon as the ball moves, all right, penalty, other way. He didn't do that. So to me, he's just, he's managed it poorly at best. And at worst, it's a dud call, which I think should have been a Roosters try. And I actually did think it should have been a Roosters try for the reasons that I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, There's obstruction rules starting to really annoy me again now. For a period there, they got it black and white. And they sort of got to a point where you sort of can't argue with the outside shoulder and that sort of thing. But in that instance, it's just ridiculous going back to that. Like, (laughs) as you said, they kicked you across the other side of the field. It's like, you know, uh, and Klein called it straight away through, and as you said, like forty odd seconds between plays. It like, yeah, sometimes you just got to go with the ref, don't you? Like the bunker, just this is the thing that shits me about the bunker, just looking for reasons to not give a try. And to be fair, too, you know, there was stuff uh, that went against the storm. You know, Harry Grant obviously got a little slap across the face, and that was not not called, and probably in the normal games during the year would have been called. Um, one of the things that I will say to defend that a little bit, yeah. if it was blown a penalty, I would have taken it as a fan, number one. But number two, he was diving quite a bit. And the reason that the rule was brought in, and people maybe don't know this, some casual fans especially, last year it was brought in that the only way a bunker can pull that up and penalise a high shot is if it's a reportable offence. Now, there is absolutely no way that's a reportable offence. Yeah. It was very, It was very soft. Nah. It barely brushed him. Harry Grant did take a dive. And that was why the rule was put in there, right? It was put in there to stop players diving like Harry Grant did. And that's not a reportable offence. So under the rules, the bunker actually got it right. Now, had Klein blown the whistle and, and said penalty, you know, I, I would have gone with that as a Roosters fan because there was, you know, some high contact. I did think it was soft, but there was high contact. So there was stuff, to be fair, that went against the Melbourne Storm as well. The whole game, I, I've highlighted the five or six things that I thought were real bad. I could talk all day about it per se, because both ways, it was just a game that was handled terribly. Yeah, which is the unfortunate thing, because it was such a good game of footy to watch. Um, And that's, yeah, you hate seeing coming down. Well, everyone talks about every year, someone's going to lose a grand final with four decisions, and it just doesn't seem to be getting any better. But as you said, it did go both ways, but... 
it's just disappointing. Like, it, where it's probably not your average fan, we get into it a little bit more and we've played it and look at it and see things probably a little bit differently than you you want to advise sort of fans do or your part-time sort of fans do. But it's just frustrating watching it when you know, like we'll have the conversation with plenty of people and everyone sees it, that it's a wrong decision. But it, <laughs> it's just frustrating, like. It's very frustrating, and I think it's frustrating for the players too. Because you're right; like that would have been a really good contest, and if it was refereed better, it would have been an all timer. And I think that the players actually did their best to to put on a pretty good display for us. So, I mean, look, that's where I, I got to give credit to the Storm, and we'll talk about them a little bit. I mentioned before we were on air here that you know they've they haven't played well all year, but they've kept finding ways to win, and it's frustrating as a non Storm fan, but it's great for the Storm fans because. They're not even close to top gear yet, and they keep winning these games. And then within a game of a grand final, that was a game where, you know, last week I was highly, highly critical of Munster again not turning up to a big game. As someone who keeps getting called a big game player, I was extremely critical of him. I thought that he was poor again. He had several times where he's gotten caught on the last, kicked the ball out dead once. He missed seven tackles on the night as well. Um, But at the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, though, he did make the the, uh, the kick that, that won the game and got Warbrick that try at the end. Warbrick obviously did a great effort to score it and break the Roosters' hearts, but uh, Munster put that on, and it was a ballsy play and one that maybe other players wouldn't have made and the Storm could have lost. So uh, it deserves credit for the match winner, if anything, and the Storm would probably be pretty happy that they got away with that one, I think. But they also did, in fairness, grind away with the Roosters in a very grinding match that I thought if it was that style of game, suited the Roosters, and yet the Storm came away with a victory. So we've got to give them full credit too. Yeah, we've talked about it a few times. It's just been, the Storm have been like that all year. They haven't looked anywhere near the, the best scintillating Storm that we've come to know over the years. They've sort of been patchy all season, but they just seem to keep being able to get the job done. And that was another case of it on last weekend. They just, they, I don't reckon they, to the visual, are the better side. Not saying that they didn't deserve to win, but the Chooks were probably the better team. But um, the Storm just managed to find it in the last moments. I mean, we've been critical of Munster all season. It's certainly nowhere near his best season, especially coming off the season he had last year. So, but he managed to pull that clutch play out at the end, and that's what got him over. So, well, they've definitely got another gear to go up. If they can find that, then they can probably trouble Penrith this week. But if they don't, then I think the Panthers will sort him out quite easily. Yeah, they didn't have Hughes too, but I tell you what, Nick Meaney. He had a very good game. Well, Wishart was great. And too. Wishart was very good too. He scored that first try, which was a great individual effort from him. And also, you know, Meany had these 24 runs with almost 200 metres, but was also very safe and and repelled the Roosters on a couple of line breaks as well. So it was um it was a great effort from Meany. I thought he was phenomenal for the yeah. uh, Roosters per se. Uh, I thought Teddy tried hard. He made some, um, some decent plays, especially at the back. No errors, uh, made some tackles, but... I have to say again, the, the guys in this final series for me, for the Roosters for two weeks, that have really stamped themselves as the big game players this final series for the Roosters. Radley, 22 runs again, 38 tackles. I, I thought he was outstanding. Uh, but Terrell May, four offloads, six tackle breaks, 45 tackles with no misses, no errors, no penalties conceded, and 18 runs. In fifty-six minutes, it, it's 
that is monster numbers. Like that is Payne Haas on one of his best day numbers. He had a career game. And, and those two guys I thought were absolutely outstanding once again for the Roosters in the losing side. Yeah, I thought so too. Radley was superb. Um, all those stats plus his ball playing, he was he was great. I thought Lizzie Collins was really good again. He just one player uh, of the year for the Roosters. Yeah. And uh yeah, if you drill May, I think he's finally starting to realise he's an NRL player. He looks just like he's growing in confidence all the time now. I can see a much bigger role for him next year for the Chooks. Yeah, he it, it's funny with him because at the start of the year I didn't really mind if we lost him. I sort of thought that he was going to be a bench fringe seventeen type of guy. Um because in in New South Wales Cup he is extremely dominant, but he's never been able to put that together. In first grade, and we've seen that so many times. There's been so many of those players. For the Roosters, Kane Evans comes to mind. You know, he he was like the best forward yeah. in second grade and could never make make a fist of it in NRL level. And Terrell May just looked like he was going down that that road. Uh, and then he's just the last couple of months of the season. Oh, I can I cannot fathom the Roosters losing him, and he's earned himself a big paycheck, which is great. Um, Butcher as well. Uh, Butcher's just been named in the Australian side. He had 43 tackles, three offloads. 14 runs. He was outstanding again. But look, look, we've got to give some credit to to Warbrick too. I have to say, like, oh, people will say it's oh. one play, but... He's had a stellar season for a guy that's come from where he's exactly, come from. Exactly, exactly. He hasn't played rugby league for that long, and it's it's a big play. Like, it's a big moment play, and you won't get too many guys that are that young and that inexperienced that make those type of plays. And he's done it a number, to- a number of times for them this season. Yeah. He's just got better and better all season, hasn't he? Like he looked a bit raw at the start of the season. He had a few errors in him and that, but you just you watch him this year. He's just got better and better the whole season. And um, I think Nick Mooney's probably been one of the most underrated players this season as well. He's been outstanding for the Storm without Pappenhausen. He'd be close to an Australian jersey as far as when you're talking a squad that big and the fact that he can play. You know, he's played six for the Storm. He's played in the centres. He's played on the wing plenty, and he's played at fullback plenty. You know, as far as utilities go. Uh, or for a larger squad, when you've got a you know a tournament type of um, scenario, yeah, especially some of the players they picked in there, like <laughs> his extended squad, <laughs> Sloan and guys like that in there, you'd have to throw Mooney in the mix, surely. So I mean, the storm go on, the Rooster season's over. Uh, been a lot of speculation after this game on how you rate the Rooster season. As a fan, uh, to me, I'm pretty happy with how we that we got to here. Because to me, and people say I'm making excuses, that, you know, that's fine. But you know, there's been like a third of the 30-man squad out just about every week, all year. And it's been significant outs as well. So, you know, we got went into this side literally with the New South Wales Cup centre and wing pairings on both sides. And I think that we went better than what we could have ever dreamed the last two weeks considering the personnel that we had. So it's a bit weird per se because I was very very annoyed and angry at how they played the first half of the season. And the second half of the season, I was actually pretty proud because we were kind of battling above our weight and people will laugh about that. But when you look at the side on the park, we kind of were. There's a lot of young guys out there that we had to play. And I sort of felt like we had a really good finish to the year. So a bit of a mixed bag for me. I don't think it's a failure. Um, I think that it's a little bit, uh, well, very rugby league and very sport to say, look, did you fail or was it a successful season? You know, there's a lot of in-between there. And I think there was probably a lot of in-between for the Roosters going home and uh, thinking about next season. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I had the Roosters right up there at the start of 
season, the pre-season after the way they finished last year, I thought they like I felt my sort of favourites to to win the comp. But um, they did have a horrible run with injuries and suspension and a few other bits and pieces. So, but then they finished strong again, which they did previous year. Um, it's come of these young guys getting experience, like Sandon Smith. He's been quite impressive. Uh, I'd say it's probably a par season. It's probably they probably obviously a club like the Roosters. Anything less than a, a grand final is probably seen as a, a not their um, not their goal. But mm. to come from where they came from when they looked like they were going to miss the eight six weeks out from from the finals to end up finishing sixth, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a solid season without being a good season and not being a bad season. Uh, the Warriors 40, Newcastle 10. I gave the Newcastle Knights a sniff in this one, partially because no, I... Did... I thought they were specials. <laughs> well, I, I thought that uh, maybe Sean Johnson was going to be hindered or he was going to be out, and he was neither. Oh, and he's been so good this year. It's, uh, it's very disappointing for Knights fans. Like you, It's been a great couple of months, so I don't think you yeah. can be too down on them. But in fairness, it. that's probably their worst game in 12 weeks. It, is, it reminded me of how they were playing the first couple of months. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because the first half against Canberra, they played like that as well. So the final series, I don't think they stepped up. And I think that that's probably how you'd say their season went. Like they were the hottest team for eight weeks leading into the finals. And then in the finals, they went back to playing not like they did at all in that two month period. So it was a little bit disappointing because they deserve to finish better than that with how they've played. Uh, for the Warriors, though, I mean, obviously they were red hot. You know, they put three tries on the board before Newcastle even got a try on there. And then Newcastle scored two tries back-to-back, 25th minute, and then the 42nd minute they were next to score again. And all of a sudden you thought, geez, there's not much in this now. And the Warriors just ran home with four more tries and Newcastle didn't score again. So it was a dominant display by the Warriors. You mentioned uh, how good Sean Johnson has been. He's been sensational, especially when you consider that he was maybe going to miss this game. He had two tries himself, two line break assists. Uh, he great directing the team around the park. Got an early mark with seven or eight minutes to go as well. Uh, Nickel Clockstar has been great for them, and he again yeah. you know, thirty-two runs, a line break, a try assist, line break assist, eight tackle breaks. Like he just did everything, and he only had one error for the day as well. Like it really was a question mark going into these type of games for the Warriors. Were all these guys that have stepped up and had career years able to translate that into the finals? And you sort of thought that with Newcastle too, and Newcastle couldn't, but all the New Zealand players did. Oh, 100%. They were up for the occasion, that's for sure. And that's uh, what all the talk was about before the game. We'd been a, a sellout crowd at the Warriors and all their, all their fans and not too many Knights fans. I mean, the Knights had that the week before and they sort of shit the bed a bit in the first half, came good in the second half and ground out a win and got away with it against Canberra at home. So to go over there, that was all the talk about with the Warriors. Would they do a similar thing, get overawed by the occasion? But they certainly didn't. Even in that period um, when the Knights hit back with a couple of tries, you never really thought the Warriors were um, going to lose that game. Even when it got back to 16-10, you just thought they were always in control. And uh, it was a pretty impressive performance. First time in about three months that Caelan Pong has had no attacking stats. Had no try, no yeah. line break, no try assist, I mean, no line break assist. <laughs> well, talked about that with a matey. The whole side sort of did the night. So I don't know what happened, what, what, how they didn't turn up the way they turned up. But um, 
they also stayed their worst game in a long time. Well, that was probably the worst game Ponga played since he was playing 5 8. Yeah, and I did worry for Newcastle with the pack, and then you had someone like Daniel Saifidi ruled out the day of the game. And that sort of really tipped it towards New Zealand's way as far as the forward battle goes. And and I thought that they lost a lot in that middle of the field. Like guys like Har- like Ford had 17 runs and 45 tackles. Tohu Harris, 25 runs and 39 tackles. These guys were just relentless. And then you had guys like Egan that had a solid game. Uh, I thought Walker coming off the bench was pretty strong and he had a linebacker to try himself. You know, it was just, it was relentless. Um, Barnett. It's so underrated, Walker. It's been a little bit understated, hasn't it, on how he's transitioned to a middle forward so effortlessly but effectively. Yeah, he was good at Manly in that role once he went there. And he's been great all year with the Warriors in that role. uh, Whatever Webster and his coaching staff are doing, what they're getting out of the players is just phenomenal. You look at guys like Egan, he's gone to a massive level this year compared to where he's been. Even I didn't at, even think Egan was going to be a first grade hooker by the end of his nah, tenure. That's right. And like even Adam Fanua Blake, like he had that gun season at Manly when the Warriors signed him. And in all fairness, he has he's probably under underachieved since he's been there. And then this year he's he's arguably the best front row in the competition. Guys like Ford, even Metcalf was killing it. But C and K he clocks that he's had his best game since the, two, the best season since 2018 when the um, Raiders made finally it's jokes. Just whatever's going on over there, the vibes and what they're getting out of the players is phenomenal. Even guys like Dylan, <laughs> Dylan with Tony Zalesniak, he's played extremely out of his skin. He hasn't played like this in forever. No, he never, yeah, that's right. He's never played like this. It's, I mean, for no Blake got another try, if you can believe it. Like, it's just, it, it's crazy because guys like for Blake, when they signed him, you go, you're mad. 850000 a year for a front rower and it's yeah. Fanua Blake. Like, you are crazy. Yeah. The Warriors are making the same mistakes they always have. And then he becomes probably the, the Dalian prop of the year this year, just about. So, And to be fair, until this year, that, that was exactly the what it was looking like. He's underachieved since he's been there. Well, it was a phenomenal win for the Warriors. There's no way around that. And look, when you go through it, they were dominant, like 56% possession. Um, they completed 83%, which that is finals footy. They missed 26 tackles. Newcastle missed 47. The the defence, I have yeah. to say, like, I don't want to stick the boot into Newcastle too much because they've done so well and they should be proud of where they got to. But, geez, defensively, they were very soft. You know, those early tries, I was talking to people that I was watching with and I was just like, geez, that was soft. There was a real soft effort yep. from from Best where he just jumper grabbed. I think Phoenix Crossland in the middle on the um, Fanua Blake yeah. one. There were some real soft ones. That had been the backbone of their success over that last 10 or 11 weeks. The defence was outstanding. So, as you said, they went back to the way they were playing at the start of the season. So, very disappointing. So, where to for the Newcastle Knights? Their season's now over. Uh, do you think that they're going to be happy with how they finished? Do you think that they're going to be able to go on with it with the roster that they've had and we're going to see them as a top eight, uh, sort of consistent top eight team for the next couple of years? Well, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to build on this season. They should get a lot out of where they they were sort of languishing at about 14th before they went on that run. And everyone said that they've got the side to do it. And Bonga came back after the format with the head injuries and back to fullback and looked playing at his best. And everyone sort of went off the back of it. I mean, they had a few injuries too. Everyone forgets Braley's been out. So Crosland 
came in a hooker. And to be honest, he was outstanding. To, he's been very good yeah. at hooker. I, I didn't rate that move at all. And I thought they were a bit crazy throwing him there. But he, he's done very, very well. And guys like Gamble played out of his skin as well. So I mean, they've got a couple of players coming next year as well. So they're not losing like anything major. Like Dom Young's a bit of a loss. But at the end of the day, he's a winger. It's not like he's a spine player. So... They could definitely build on this season. They, anything less than a, they should be aiming top four next year. Anything less than a top eight would be a massive failure for them next season. We do need to take a quick break from the podcast, Talking Footy Episode 20, to have a bit of a chat about the great partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Jump on picklebet.com and have a look. They've got some fantastic promos each week of the NRL finals. Even the AFL finals have had, geez, the AFL finals ones. You go for a first goal scorer. If they score a goal in the first three goals, you get paid as a winner. That's crazy. But for the NRL, if you just want to go for the NRL, they've got that second try score promotion going again. So bet on the first try score markets, and if they come in second, not first, you'll get paid out as a winner. That's a phenomenal offer for this weekend. So phenomenal offers that Picklebet keep throwing up for the NRL and AFL finals. They've also got great betting on e-gaming, also great betting on the racing, but they are a fantastic partner of the podcast. So if you do jump on, create an account today, make sure where it says affiliate code where you sign up, you say, you put in all stars or one word, that's your affiliate referral code, all stars. Then they'll see that you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. But picklebet.com, get on and have a look at those offers today. You can find the promos when you go into each game and there's a promo tab that you can open up. Make sure you go into that promo tab of each game that you want to bet on and they'll show you the promos that are available for it. But picklebet.com, jump on and have a bet today. Always think, is this a bet that you really want to place for free and confidential support? You can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. So, moving along. Week three of the finals, the preliminaries. We have Penrith Panthers versus the Melbourne Storm at a core stadium. Uh, this one... I really fear for the Storm, but I will say that they do have Hughes back, and I think that's going to be a huge inclusion for them because Grant and Munster have largely really struggled being able to create for the Storm, and you're going to need some points, uh, especially in a grinding game. Points are going to be hard to come by. You're going to need some, some weapons to be able to get you there. So, I mean, that's only going to help the Storm having Hughes back there. Uh, but for Penrith... It's pretty scary, per se, because when you saw the team list, you went, oh, if you're a Storm fan, Luai's back, and Isaac Tango, one of the informed young centres of the competition this year, both of them have been named. So, you know, it's a full-strength side for Penrith right at the right time, and I think that playing this one in Sydney as well is going to help them. There's going to be a huge amount of Penrith support, and how they played so far this season, but particularly at this business end, if both teams play how they've been playing, you kind of fear for, for Melbourne's life here that they could lose by 20. Yeah, it, it could get quite ugly for the Storm. I, I'm expecting the Panthers to put on an absolute clinic, to be honest. The, the week off always helps them as well. Their forward pack, I think, is where it's going to win it. Um, well, the Storm have been patchy all season. I, I think they really missed couple of the old heads that they lost in the back. And I think that's could have a bit fair bit of an impact on why Munster hasn't been as dominant this season either. Plus users been in and out and had injuries and stuff as well. So it's um questions about users' fitness, how well he's gonna go as well. So I, I 
can't say anything but a Panthers win myself, and I think they'll win quite comfortably. Yeah, I mean, for the stats gurus out there, four out of the last five contests have Penrith have taken home, and the last two have been 26-6, to six, which was only in round 23. And that was a game, if anyone remembers it, where it could have easily been, you know, 44-6. to six. And then the game before that, which was round 18 last season, uh, oh, sorry, round 18 this season, 34 to 16. And so both games, Penrith won by 20 to 18 points. And I think if you're the Storm, you throw away that last one that they lost 26 to 6 because it was a drubbing and it was worse than the scoreline suggested. But I think Bellamy will focus on that round 18 one. You know, the Storm actually played Penrith quite well in that one. I don't know if you remember it per se, but they started off like it was a semi-final. They scored the first two tries, converted both, kicked a penalty goal. They were up 14-0 until the 32nd minute. And the Storm looked on, and and Penrith looked like they didn't know what to do. So I think they'll focus on that, and they'll look to that game that they could unsettle Penrith if they can get up early there and go on with it a little bit. Yeah, that's where their forwards need to lift. They really need to limit Cleary's time. That's the thing. If a forward back can get up and dominate the middle and uh, not give Cleary that much time just to sit back and weave his magic left and right, and that's where they'll they'll come into the game. But it's, it's all a bit if, if the Panthers backs dominate and he's just got too much time and too much vision. It's just yeah, I think, and the Panthers defense is just rock solid as well. The storms that's probably been the biggest thing that's been on Stormlight for the Storm this year is their defense hasn't really been up to it. They've been a lot of games that they've considered a lot of points. It missed, it missed around 50 tackles a lot. You know, it's just, it's yeah, not been yeah, good. Unheard of from the Storm. I reckon this one's going to go 28 to 12 for the Penrith Panthers. Uh, we're doing a prediction. <laughs> I can see this getting quite ugly for the Storm, to be honest. But look, I'll probably go 36 to, yeah, 36 to 12. I think we're both around the same ballpark, so we'll see how that one plays out. The Brisbane Broncos are going to host the Warriors at Suncorp. That's a big deal for them. Um, they're the only team that's actually playing at home this round. And it's going to be a huge, huge Brisbane contingent, though with the Warriors... A lot of lot of cuzzy bros and Brizzy. There is. And with the Warriors spending time during the, the lockdown years in um, based in Queensland, there is a lot of support for them there. So they do have that going for them. Uh, but they've been totally written off. Like They're, they're four to one under, underdogs on most bookies at the moment. It's interesting because the Warriors are full strength. You know, the Broncos are full strength as well, which which is good because that's what you want this time of year. You want to see both sides at the full strength going at it. Uh, I, I'm i not going to go as far to say personally that I think the Warriors win, but I think that there's a potential for an ambush here. Uh, I think there's... Oh, I'm going to be accused of being against Brisbane because I've said it a few times this year. I, I give Brisbane all the credit in the world. They've been one of the best teams in the competition along with Penrith. I'll say that outright. But I think there has been several occasions during the season where they've gotten plenty of wins that they haven't looked great in getting. And I do worry uh, if the Warriors play how they've been playing, that Brisbane might actually struggle to contain the Warriors and then they might actually implode a little bit. So I definitely think that that can happen. Whether it does or not, I mean, look, it's not going to surprise me to see Brisbane win either. I'm actually going to tip a Warriors upset though. I think the Warriors can get there and get to the grand final. Uh, But... Like I said, not going to surprise me if Brisbane get there either because they've got a great roster and Reese Walsh will certainly be up for this one per so against his old club. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't write the 
the Warriors off of this one, that's for sure. Um, I think the week off could, will be the difference. I, I expect this going to be an absolute classic, hopefully. Uh, with sort of a, yeah, 28-24, maybe top scoreline. The Warriors, you can't rule them out. They could definitely ambush the Broncos, that's for sure. But I, I think the Bronx would be up for this. Um, I think they'll win. Uh, yeah. I can't see anything but a Penrith and Broncos final, but um, I'd love to see the Warriors get up. But yeah, as you said, like the Warriors can get it start early like they did last week and um, frazzle the Broncos, and their forward back could quite well get the job done. So it should be a classic game. I'm really open for. I'm really excited for this game. I think it'll be the best one of the, the final series so far. Yeah, this is my favourite game of the round, which, you know, normally, you know, in prior years, you would have said, oh, Storm versus Penrith, you would have licked your lips and gone, that's that's massive, two of the big powerhouse sides of the comp. I'm looking forward to this Brisbane Warriors one. I think it's going to be a really good contest. I think it could go either way as well, um, whereas the other one, I just, I can't see Penrith not winning, so. Yeah, uh, so I can't see Storm troubling Penrith, to be honest. Interesting as well that, like, Brisbane's defence has been, what, second in the competition. Um, yeah, outstanding this season. That's the biggest improvement from last season. That's what's got them to where they are. It's not the attack; it's the defence. And there's certainly some, there's certainly some times in this back line where I sort of think the Warriors match up quite well, particularly with those wingers with Arthur's and Cobbo. Uh, I'm interested to see what they throw at them, and I, I think there could be points on the board out there for the Warriors as well. So, I, I undoubtedly for the Brisbane Broncos, it's going to come down to their key men for me to get the victory here. I don't think it's going to be an easy one, but I think Walsh and Reynolds are going to be have to be at the top of their game. Walsh has been a bit patchy, I think, the last couple of months, especially the last sort of five, six weeks, throwing balls over the sideline, a few errors and stuff. He's gotten away with it against some lesser teams, per se, because he's been able to pick up in the in the moments, you know, and get some tries and some tries here, but he won't be able to do that versus the Warriors. No, for sure. I mean, Reynolds is the, he's the key for me for the Broncos. His kicking game and uh, just his organisation skills. He he's been outstanding this year for those guys off the back of that pack that's sort of dominating. But um, Sean Johnson's having a career year as well, and he's twilight. So that's a, that's going to be a massive battle there. If the forward packs match each other, that's that's what it's going to come down to. So moving along to the women's NRLW. Um... There's been some, uh, there were some great games on the weekend, but we do have our final four. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get one of the expansion teams there. The Raiders finished fifth, 10 points, two points out of the top four. Uh, so we do have the Knights versus the Broncos this weekend and the Roosters versus the Titans. Uh, so I thought that it was a good season, per se, for the expansion teams. Uh, but one of the things that I think that we saw was that as the season went on, the Raiders, not so much, but certainly the Sharks and the Tigers and the Cowboys found it harder going after we got through that first few weeks of football. Uh, and you could see that they're sort of just building into a proper NRLW season for those clubs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Tigers came out of the blocks and won the first two games. Um, Cowboys as well. Raiders looked very strong for most of it. It's almost a little disappointing they didn't get there because they were quite good for one of the new expansion teams. But it, as you um, alluded on there, the experienced sides, is that, even though it's a short comp, as the comp went on, they just sort of grinded away. And um, the ins and outs of playing every week sort of came through at the end, didn't it? Like the Knights versus Broncos, Titans. I think everyone probably expected them 
to make the um, the final. Yeah, it, it is going to be a really good final series. Uh, last round we did have some some pretty big games. Uh, we had the Sharks actually set a record in the NRLW for most points scored. Uh, the most it had been was forty eight before. They got to fifty six. 56 to 6 versus Eels. Um, but, you know, the Sharks deserve credit because people will say, oh, they beat up on one of the cellar dwellers. But oh, I actually think the Sharks have shown a lot this year uh, and they deserve to have a record like that because the way they've attacked and stuff, I think, has been fantastic. Taylor Preston had a massive, massive haul of points goal kicking. Um, and they've obviously got some pretty classy girls in that side as well to put on points. So they obviously did make the full per se, but. They got that record for the most points scored. Some people looked at that badly, though, and said that, you know, it's not good that they put on 56 points. It shows a disparity in the women's competition. How did you sort of see that one? Ah, oh, this is that. You can't really call it disparity. I mean, Parramatta had a pretty solid season last year. So they haven't been great this year, but um, that's, you know, especially the Sharks coming into the season this year, putting on a good style of play. It's This happens, scores blow out like that. So, I don't think it's disparity at all. Um, I don't want the uh, women's comp to expand too quick, though. That's the thing. I think they're at that point now where they can build on this for for four or five years, what they've got. Yeah, we're going to hit on that shortly as well. Um, The the big guns last week all won pretty easily. The Knights 28, Tigers 8. The Roosters 40 to 16 over the Cows. The Broncos 46 to 12 over the uh, the Dragons. The Titans 36 over the Raiders. And the Raiders were playing to try and stay in the competition for yeah. the finals. So there were some big wins from all four finalists. Um, I can't see anything but a Knights-Roosters grand final, which yeah. I think will be really, really good. But the Broncos do have a talented side with a lot of good players in it. Uh, so you, you sort of look at the, this final four and go, if there's going to be an upset, you know, the Broncos are probably a team that could do it, which would be really un- unhappy for the Knights because, you know, they're number one and they deserve to finish number one as well. Yeah, Broncos a bit of the schmaggy, but I, I agree the Knights and, and Chooks, and that'll be a good going too. Those two sides are stacked with very talented players. Millie Boyle back at the Chooks this year as well, so going up against the Knights and they won last year, that'll be a good clash, but... Um, There'll be a fairly decent crowd this week too for the night, so everyone's still riding on the back of the, the lads and tickets are uh, pretty cheap. I think the members get in for free and they're $10 a ticket for non-members. So I'm expecting a pretty good crowd at Newcastle this week for the game against the Bronx. So I'll back the night to get up. Well, that's one of the other good things too. Like three out of these four NRLW sides, the men's sides haven't made it. So, you know, get behind the girls, everyone. If you're a Roosters fan, if you're a Titans fan, if you're a Knights fan... Get behind the girls in NRLW because they're still playing. The semi-finals are underway. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it's going to be a great clash. There's a lot of stars in these four teams to watch. Speaking of which, on the NRLW to finish up, uh, we have the finalists for the the players' champion voted by the players. There's five: Taran Aiken from the Roosters, Tegan Berry from the Dragons, Zahara Tamara from the Raiders, and Sarah Togatuki from the Tigers. To make it Upton from the Knights. I just got to give a shout out to uh, the Raiders and the Tigers having representation on there because they didn't even finish, you know, top four. And those are expansion sides. So to have players putting that prestige for the top five from their own peers is outstanding. I don't see those girls winning. I think it's between Tara and Aiken at the Roosters and Tamika Upton. I have spoken about Upton for the Knights per so all season in the NRLW. 
I can't believe how professional she is, how good she is. She is such a great rugby league player. Love watching her in every way, shape, or form. She's a complete player. Just as much, I was super excited to get Aiken to the Roosters this year, and I thought that she was going to be something special, and she really has been. You know, the Roosters were already star-studded, and for someone like her to come in to a star-studded team and dominate and play the way that she has to the point that she's voted as one of the top five players by her peers, it's it's an outstanding year. So all those girls have done great. For me, it's going to be out of Aiken and Upton, and I think Upton will probably get her. Yeah, I think to me, you're up, it'll get it. But um, I have to say a um, little shout out to um, Zara tomorrow. That she's been outstanding for the the Raiders this year, and that she was uh, so dominant early on, and why they almost made the finals as well. So it's a great debut season for them. So, but yeah, I think I think to make her up, and she's just a special player, isn't she? She really is, and it's just such a such a great combination of work rate. Um, football like everything, fundamentals, everything, everything. She's such a complete player. Um, we're going to move along. Grand final time slot. Every <laughs> bloody year, per se. <laughs> like it's just like I actually made a comment on social media. I was like, look, just give it a rest. We all know that the daytime time slot is better. We all want it. We say it every year, but the NRL knows that, and they just don't do it. So obviously, it's the TV and the money, right? They just they don't want to make a daytime grand final. Yeah, it's just a lot of old traditionalists like us, old fossils, I suppose we are these days in our 40s. But, um, I mean, the AFL's never moved there 3 o'clock or 2.30 or whatever it is on a Saturday afternoon time slot. Ever. I'd still love the, the old traditional. I even go to 4 p.m. now, it used to always be 3, so 4 on a Sunday afternoon would be spot on. But, you know, it's never going to change. Obviously, the TV ratings are better for the, uh, the night game on a Sunday, especially since the grand final these days isn't the, the last weekend of September anymore. It's the, the long weekend, the first weekend of October. So the Monday's a public holiday. It's here, unfortunately, it's here to stay that time. So I can't see the NRL ever moving it. Yeah, it's funny because I'm not obviously a uh, someone who's in TV or anything or in advertising, but I, I always just look at it and go, surely it's not worth a lot more to have it of a night instead of, of an oh, afternoon. You wouldn't like, think so. Oh, I just can't see it. And you look at something like the like the AFL and you just go, well, they they have it during the day and they're fine televising it during the day. No one cares. And they've never thought about changing it. No. So it, 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 just, it, it just really bugs me that they don't look at it. And it is something where I guess they think maybe more casual viewers will, will come across it of, of an evening because they've got things on during a Sunday and stuff. But... You got to think about the young fans too. Like I think That's a lot it. of a lot of younger fans are going to watch it, and those are the fans that you want to develop your audience, right? You want those young fans watching it during the day and getting into it like what we used to when we were kids, and going, "Oh, I want to be a rugby league player, or I want to play rugby league next year, or oh, I want to start watching rugby league all the time now." You know, and you get you have casual young fans that, that will have a watch of a grand final, and that might happen with, but you're not going to get that if you got on later at night. So it's, yeah, it, it just seems like a no-brainer to me. But for some reason, you know, we talk about it every year and the NRL never, ever flinches. So I don't think it's going to change either. The positive pitch segment. Positive thing in rugby league. I already mentioned it a little bit, but I have to, I just have to applaud. I don't want to applaud the salary cap or the NRL too much, but it's just, it's the best. It, people have had a go at this final series a little bit. And I understand that. We have actually had a lot of players out, which has been unfortunate. 
but it's the best mix of teams that I can remember as far as representing different areas of Australia. Uh, you know, I've already mentioned, but we've got, you know, Brisbane, Queensland team, the Warriors from New Zealand, uh, and then we've got Penrith from Sydney and Melbourne from Victoria. Um, you know, it's it, it covers four different geographical areas, a large portion of where the competition's around. So you've got interest from everywhere. And it's really looking like a ratings bonanza this week because of it. But it's great to mix that up because it does get a bit boring when it's, you know, three or four Sydney teams, especially if it was like four Sydney teams with how many Sydney teams we have or New South Wales teams. I just think it's great, the mix of teams that we got for the finals. Oh, it's fantastic, Barnsley. I mean, this season's probably been the closest it's been ever in the NRL era. And on top of that, three of the, three of the four teams that made the prelims last year didn't make the eight. South Parramatta and the Cowboys. So, I mean, it, you you got to give the NRL credit there that the competition's as close as it's ever been. 100%. Now, listeners' corner, what's our question this week? Do you let the bunker intervene on stuff-ups and calls that have gone wrong? Um, I don't want to change these rules per se. I disagree. I want to peel it back, if anything. So, I like that they can't just tip yeah. off on the fly and stuff. Because I actually think as well that it doesn't help referee performance, you know. I think that we saw a few years ago where they started changing things that referees would rely on the bunker as almost a number one referee, you know. 100%. And you know what technology, you know, ruling our game. Uh, you, you might think that we get things right better, but we don't because how many times does it go to the bunker and, and we don't like the decision anyway? I'd rather put the face of the person on the middle. I'd rather peel back than have them intervene. And I'd rather the referees just, we, we focus on getting them to the best standard possible and give them the best tools possible to succeed. Uh, and I think that we can do that with peeling back the bunker rather than going the other way. 100%. And then as fans, we need to go back to what it was like 20 or 30 years ago. If a ref made a bad call in the field, so be it. You know, if that, you just live with it. You don't chastise them and it's just wind the bunker back. Have it for maybe grounding. Oh, I'd like to have it maybe just for grounding of the football in, in the Ingal, but they haven't seemed to get that wrong these days. So I don't know. I, I think we rely too much on technology now. And it's just too much slowing the game down and looking for excuses not to award draws and that sort of thing. You definitely don't want them intervening in mid players that aren't having anything to do with the trial like a second set. They look at it and go, oh, hang on, we'll just go back. It'll be the fourth tackle. No, we'll go back to the second tackle now because we've just reviewed that and there was a knock on a dummy half or forward pass dummy half. You know, even they're not ruling forward passes, but that's the way the game looks like it's going to go. They're going to try and get technology to rule from forward passes and things. And I mean, I, 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 <laughs> that's a massive bugbear of mine if they start to put the, the GPS tracker in a ball so they can um, determine forward passes through a bunker and every second pass from dummy half is going to be forward. It's just, yeah, it's just too much. Like, technology's good, but you can way overuse it. I think tennis are the best for it. They just got it for that line and that's it. They do a good job with it. And that's a, that's a sport as well where they could overuse it very easily. Exactly. I and mean, they just simplify it and use it for what you need to use it for. Spray of the week. Expansion. Please. Please, let's not stuff this up. Uh-huh. Uh, for NRL and NRL, NRLW, uh, I have to applaud. There has been so many NRLW players this week and officials and club people and coaches who have had the maturity to say, don't expand. You know, we're not ready for it. And you don't get that sometimes. And at the start of the NRLW, uh, you didn't get that from a lot of players and stuff. They They wanted as much expansion as possible and all that sort of stuff. 
huge maturity level from some of these players coming out. I really applaud it because it shows a lot of self-awareness. To me, 10, going from 6 to 10 was huge as far as the teams in the NRLW. That's yeah. a massive jump. And we've actually handled it quite well, better than what I thought, and I really like it. 10 is also a good number to say this is a competition. This is a real competition. You, you can have this go for another month longer next year or whatever. You, you can have just 10 teams. That's enough. You don't need it to be as big as the men's comp for decades at this point. Um, we do have the Canary Bulldogs that are putting up their hand and saying we want to be the next team. We do have a plan to have two more teams in 2025. To me, it's it's too much too soon. And I think that the NRL has done better than the AFL in being able to constrain how many teams they put in the NRLW. Um, I was very, uh, I guess, negative about how they opened up with just four teams. I thought it was a, an exhibition series. It wasn't a competition. Ten teams is perfect to me, Perso. And I think that we've just got the balance right. And one of the things in business that good business people know is you don't expand until you've got a rock solid foundation, you know, and it's the same in sport. You want to make sure that all 10 of those teams are rock solid, good performing, driven in cement, not going to fall over clubs. And we don't have that yet at all. We've got 40% of them that are new, you know, you, you've got to strengthen those teams up first. So for the NRLW side, I would say you could, if you really have it in your head, NRLW, that you want to expand, do it through the pathways and development, do it in the second grade, have a heap more second grade teams, get the pathways and development happening so these girls are ready to come on board and be professionals in the NRLW arena. And, and that's the way you can expand at the moment. But we've got to be really, really careful. And I applaud the maturity of some of the people involved in the NRLW of calling that out. Oh, 100%. They've just expanded by four teams this year to 10. Like, you, you can't be going. How quick do you want to try and spread the talent without the development? That's that's the problem. I think they've got the balance right. Um there was always a lot of um, nervousness around going to 10 teams this year and what the quality would be like. And I think those, the girls have shown the quality's good, but at the same time, you don't want to stretch it any further. Like, give it another three, four, five years at 10 teams to develop. And as you said, the, the Harvey Norman series, we include regional teams. Like, I know the Maitland up in Newcastle, they got a really strong girls' side. Like, you could, you could, Go the development path and include size like that in the in the Harvey Norman one. And just you can't rush this sort of stuff. That's that you go too quick, it's just going to die. And no one wants to see teams get logged every week in any time of form of uh, of footy. But you you just can't rush it. Like I think they've got the balance right at the moment. I think they need to be smart about it and um, just keep developing the way they're going. On the NRL side, I've I've said this before, but Jesus Christ. It makes so much sense mm. just to put a team in Perth. Why does the NRL keep relenting? You and I have had this conversation what? so long. Even with the TV rights side of things, Marjorie, the, the time slots of Perth just makes so much sense. They seem to talk about everywhere else per se but Perth. Yeah. And we've got it again all of a sudden. You know, the, I liked that the Bears wanted to go over from the old North Sydney Bears to be the Perth Bears. And then all of a sudden, they've obviously gotten wind that that's not, getting no traction at all, which it hasn't. Yeah. And they've got, well, you know what, we'll do the Christchurch Bears. Like, we do not need another New Zealand team. And I had this dis- no, had this discussion today with people where they were like, well, you know, do you think that maybe one of the other teams, you know, we could do We have only got one room for one team. The NRL cannot have any more than 18. That's it for us. You, you you can't do it anymore. So 
how you've got a team already in New Zealand. Okay, there's already a team there. They're actually called New Zealand. They're no longer the Auckland Warriors yeah, of old. They're right. New Zealand. There is nothing. That market's saturated with one team. Well, there's nothing west of the east coast of Australia, per se. Like, Adelaide's too small to go there. Perth is the answer. That is expansion. And when you're talking expansion, like, again, we, we said expansion, and then we put a team down the road from Brisbane and, and a little bit further from yeah. the Gold Coast. Like, that's not expansion, okay? We can we can get away with yeah. that because Queensland are a mad rugby league state, and that's fine. Give them another team. But you can't stuff yeah. this last one up because it is the last one. It has to be Perth, and I, it scares me how 100%. little that they're talking about it. And the massive difference, too, now between when the Western Reds were around in the, the mid-'90s and now there's so many expat Queenslanders and New South Welshmen over in WA now through the morning boom and everything else. So there's a, definitely a market there, and it can be handled a lot better than it did with the Western Reds. So people that go, oh, well, the Western Reds failed 30 years ago. It's not going to work. It, it's it's got to be perfect. <laughs> the time slot works perfectly with certain games. It's a different it's a different climate now too. And look, I'll, I'll throw another thing up there that doesn't get talked about and I haven't mentioned before. The development opportunity is huge. If you're going to expand, you need players that are NRL quality coming through. And at the moment, you've got heaps of people playing rugby league in New Zealand and rugby union converts that come over to it and they've got the Warriors there to come through. You know, it's untapped potential in Perth, you know, in, in Western Australia in general in that state. If you want to play rugby league, it's hard at the moment. You can't aspire to anything other than to move very far away from where you live. Give them somewhere to aspire to. Have development pathways. You can get a whole new branch of players. Maybe you increase by 10% of the players coming in through the NRL pathways. Not all of them are going to make it, but they're going to be representative level players. You've got all that. You don't have any of that at the moment. You got it from all the other states that you're in. Go over there. Get, get WA done. It's just a no-brainer, but it scares me personally because it just looks more and more like they're going to stuff this up. Uh, look, we've got to move along to the last segment. Legend Rewind, Nick Kossef. I love doing some players. You know, anyone that's played rugby league, particularly at an Australian New South Wales level, are legends, right? But even at an NRL level, are legends. So let's just get that out of the way now because some people will screw their nose up and say, Nick Kossef, he wasn't a legend. I love talking about guys like Nick Kossef perso because... There are some guys that have played the game that don't get the accolades that they deserve, and he's one of them. There's also a lot of players as well that had a very short window of their prime, which was unfortunate, but it's just how it's translated. You know, Nick Kossef was a guy who only had five real seasons. You know, he was crueled with injury for a few years at the end. Um, He started in 1992. But from then for three seasons, he only had one 11 and one NRL appearances. And the last three years of his ACLs, career... ACLs, I think, didn't he? Yeah, multiple ACLs. I think it was to different knees as well. And yeah. then at the end of his career, he was done with the ACLs. Seven, three, and 18 appearances from 2000 to 2002. For those middle five years, he played between 21 and 25 games for five years straight. And he represented Australia with nine appearances. He also represented New South Wales with eight appearances. And it was all in that window. And in that window, he was one of the better back rowers going around in the competition. I'll let you take it away (laughs) for his playing style and what you remember from him, mate. And then I'll go through some of his numbers. You know, what what do you remember about big Nick Kossef? He's just like a typical workhorse lock, but he's a ball player as well. He was, I don't want to say stupid, but he's a bit Fittler esque in that sort of um, style. But that manly back row, when 
him, Gartner and Menzies, Kosev Gartner and Menzies, I mean, that's one of the best back rows I've ever seen in in, in our time of watching footy. Uh, he was just, he was awesome. <laughs> but the work rate, he was just in everything. But yeah, yeah, ball playing ability, which was, you know, sort of a bit before the time now with, when they, you know, we've talked about heaps of times with the, uh, the ball playing locks, or well, that was the year where you had the ball playing locks. He was every bit as good as Jimmy Dimmick and those sort of guys, you know, they were sort of maybe a tier below Fittler, but yeah, he was he was outstanding and a massive part of why Manly had so much success at that time. Yeah, and look, you talk about the the Fittler comparisons. He was definitely a Fittler light. He was he stood at six foot two and was around a hundred kilos. So yeah, not a small man. When he played at five eight, which he did at times, he was a big five eight. But definitely, that was one of my favourite back rows of all time. The the Gardner oh, yeah. Menzies Kotsef back row that Manly had. And he played for Manly his whole career, by the way. But that back row is one of my favourite ever. I loved all three of those it's players. so underrated, really, too. It was because they were very star-studded, right? And Menzies got a lot of the credit in the back row. Gartner and Kosev didn't get much. And certainly like guys like Cliffy Lyons and some of the speedsters and uh, Matty Bridge and stuff like those, those backline guys got a lot of the credit. But geez, Kosev was one of those guys that I think was super respected in playing circles. And he was also quite feared because... You say the Fittler comparisons. One of the things that I think is lost with people that didn't watch much of Nick Kosev, he was a guy that could ball play to the point that he was a really good 5'8", and he had great hands, and he had great brains for football. But defensively, he would belt oh, guys, yeah. and he was big enough where he was hurting guys just taking front row hit-ups. It was such a lethal combination of power, smarts, and skill that you didn't see much of in the 90s, uh, except for these real special guys like him. Yeah, he was sort of a complete footballer, wasn't he? I mean, oh, oh, I remember, yeah, outstanding for those. That period when he was when he was fit, I, I do remember, like, yeah, yeah, a couple of ACLs. It was, you know, one of those guys that had a bit unlucky with injury, but he was a massive, yeah, as I said before, a massive reason that Manly was so successful in that mid-90s period. As we said, too, the Blues and Australia... Both had a huge amount of back rows to choose from. Oh, there was a plethora at that time. At a time where there was guys like Menzies, Brad Clyde, and, and several others, even Ben Kennedy coming through and stuff. He still managed to play, you know, those eight representative games for New South Wales and 10 for Australia in, in that five-year period. So, you know... He... At that period when he was fit, he was a lot of first big. So that's just a lot with that. It was a, a really strong era for back rows. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, he, he only managed 158 first-grade games, which it, it should have been 250, but it just happens with guys like him. But if anyone hasn't seen Nick Kosef play, go and watch the highlights from his from his five-year period where he's in his prime, and I think you'll be surprised at how good he was because he was a bloody good player and he's one that's not talked about often enough. So great spotlight there. One club man for Manly, one of my favourite back rowers from that era. Perso, that is the podcast. Well done once again. Thank you for jumping on board, and we will get you on again very soon and talk finals as well. Oh, well, it's good, Barzi. Hopefully a couple of cracking games this weekend. I'm really looking forward to the uh, the Broncos-Warriors game. Hopefully um, the Storm surprised me. That could be a belter as well against the Panthers, but I think the Panthers are too clinical. But either way, hopefully the um, prelims are great and then the grand finals are classic. I hope so too, fingers crossed. And we don't want any more refereeing mistakes or errors or controversy. We just want to concentrate on yeah. the 40 as well. So let's hope for that as well. And also the NRLW, great matchups for that as well. Uh, anyone that wants to find us, we're everywhere. SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. 
Jump on Twitter, follow us there, NRL underscore SC underscore all stars. Jump on our partner, Picklebet too, picklebet.com. When you sign up today, use the affiliate code all stars, all one word. They'll see that you're one of our listeners and take great care of you. Fantastic promos this week. AFL get paid as a first goal scorer if they score any time in the first three goals. NRL get paid as a first try scorer, scoring any time in the first two tries scored in each game. So get on picklebet.com today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new Talkman Footy episode. Until then, enjoy the finals. Enjoy the footy. Can't wait to chat again real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid.